Hello and welcome to the All Ears Podcast by Give A Rock with me, Jeremy Inson. Give A Rock is a non-profit organisation that was developed to help rugby union players, club members, volunteers and coaches feel more comfortable talking openly and honestly about their mental health and well-being. In this series we're talking to women and men from across rugby union to find out how their involvement in the sport has affected their mental health in good and bad ways and to share their stories and the lessons they've learned thanks to being involved in Rugby Union. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is a world champion. He was part of the victorious 1997 Lions down in South Africa. He was a European champion and has got a great story to tell. Uh, it's Mark Regan. Mark, thanks for joining us today. He had a long career and for the most part, you were deaf. How did um, how did we how oh. did that not come about more at oh. the time? I don't think I didn't tell anyone. I think only my parents knew and my brother knew. Um, uh, I was deaf since I was two years of age. Uh, I had real bad measles as a child, and then obviously uh, I was told I needed hearing aids when I was very young. But I chose not to uh, have the hearing aids. Um, I didn't want to be ridiculed I suppose or uh, bullied at school uh, for having hearing aids in so I didn't wear them in the end Uh, and so obviously find it very difficult at school to hear obviously you can't learn if you can't hear the teacher so just put it back in the class uh, and that was it and just cast me like an old sock Uh, my rugby I started at the age of eight uh, local rugby club, Cates Rugby Club, and that gave me the release and they give, got rid of the frustrations of, uh, of not being able to hear and not being able to hear and listen. You can't learn, you can't read, uh, you can't read. So I'd have many a time when I would actually um, go for reading lessons, and the mum and dad said, took me out of school, put me in a private school that did not play rugby as well, uh, and that helped a bit. Obviously, it taught me right from wrong. It put my straight and narrow a bit better now. I'm so frustrated. And uh, rugby was my was my goal on the end of the, end of the week, on the weekend. So it was a Sunday morning training, and then obviously just continued got continued on like that. Um, and it's obvious back then I'd end up to get more England tests and GCSEs that way. Uh, so, what was it like for you as a child? You know, sort of young Mark. Was it Sunday morning? The contrast between Sunday morning and Monday morning must have been fairly huge in the way you were sort of looking forward to that day's activities. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I've deal with, and if mum or dad could take me that weekend, I end up getting very upset and uh, frustrated. Um, it's great release for me. Um, obviously, I became very distracted at school, uh, irritable. Obviously, became a distraction as well. My and none of my uh, results were very good. To be fair, it was not really do better. Uh, and it continued on like that. But I'd done my best to try and get as many GCSEs as I possibly could. But I ended up going to college uh, to just do some retakes, just to play, play rugby, really. Uh, and that was at Saint, just to St. Brendan's College, and they've gone and played for England under 16s and England under 18s. And then obviously, once you're on that ladder, they sort of see you coming through to 19s, 21s, England students, and then all the way up to the uh, top of the tree. Um, were there any sort of workarounds you, you found as you got older? going through the school system what sort of workarounds did you find you, you sort of to sort of to keep the fact that you you were deaf 
um, to keep it quiet and 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 that people uh, didn't find well, out and make well, an issue of it. Well, no one, no one, no one knew. So if they did, I would obviously have been asked, well, quite told to play for the Deaf Society, as you can imagine, uh, which wouldn't have been a problem. But I wanted to be that Brian Moore, ground door. I wanted to play for British Lions. I was that keen to go on ahead and play rugby, uh, my country, and I lip read. My eyesight is extremely good. I just, well, I haven't got them on at the moment, but obviously from a distance, from distance is very good. But I'm reading close, they're not so good now as I'm getting older, but they're still crystal clear uh, on a far distance. Um, and I lit reading, obviously, and learned through people's actions and movements and basically people watch. To see In terms character. of how it affected your, your behaviour, obviously you were... On the pitch, when we used to watch you, you were very bubbly. You were very forthright and in the face type player. Is that something you can you, you sort of would put down to the fact that you were keeping your deafness quiet and and uh, yeah. and had to let your actions speak a bit louder? Yeah, you say exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it did. Uh, my actions speak louder. I was I was never any really good at talking a good game, just playing one. Uh, I never did. Um, so I'm not very good at explaining things as well. So that was the reason why. Yeah, I would definitely say that was the reason why. Yeah. That I lit reads people, uh, and that's just been, and that's just being the just being a joker of the pack a lot. When I'd be sat in team meetings and go, "What did you say?" Didn't quite understand what he said then, and just pipe up and be be funny or something like that. And I and I've told quite a few people who said, "Well, it makes that make that makes a that makes a lot of sense." That does, Mark. And they say when they know what what I'm like as a person, that makes a lot of sense. That uh, the way I used to act. It's all. Funny. It squared a circle for a lot of people, a lot of ex-teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hide the fact, hide the fact that you know when you're playing rugby and you're in front of hundred thousand people and you and and you're growing up, and you want to play at Twickenham and you want to be in front of hundred thousand people and and someone changes the line out call halfway through, it's going to be quite difficult, isn't it? I might I might turn around and say, excuse me, say say it again. What was the call again? So say the nice line at the back of the line out, and say it again, and I still didn't hear it. I just then sometimes I just go jump yours, <laughs> you know, so, and they go. Did you not hear the? Did you not hear the And I go, no, I didn't. But obviously I couldn't hear it. So I mean, so, uh, but I, I I learned to learn the movements as well. The dummies and movements. My my vision is very good. My depth perception was very good as well. So I could tell when you were in your teenage years. Again, yeah. so again with the contrast, the um. So the way you were treated by your teachers, like you said, you were shoved to the back of the class um, yeah. and treated as the dumb kid. But then again, on the Sunday or during the week, during training at your rugby club, the coaches, the way they treated you, how did that sort of contrast between the teachers and, and your coaches in your life? Because your... I was Tuesday because I was massively respected on that Sunday. They could see the talent uh, in, in, in me. About, I wanted, I was driven, I was selfless, I was committed. Uh, very talented, but talent's not enough. You need to have a DM DNA of a champion running through your veins. You need to want it. You need to play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. And that's exactly what I was like. I was a fan's favourite, SCP. Uh, and I put 110% into it. And I'd be thinking about what I'd be doing that uh, first thing Monday morning before Sunday came the following week. To be fair, I'd be preparing myself. For, all right, I go through five, five days then of schooling before I got there. So that's the painful part. Um, when did rugby really, when did you really become, I mean, you, you were saying it, it was a huge part of your life and it was always one of your yeah. aims. When did it, 
when did those conversations start about, yeah, you can play for, it wouldn't have been premiership at the time, the, the first division. Um, and when did England first sort of take an interest in your, in the, in the junior teams? At school. I was at school and I was playing my rugby at, not at school because my school didn't play any rugby. Um, it was a, it was a, um, it was a private school. Didn't play any rugby. Too small. Uh, my rugby played on a Sunday, and then just went and played for Saint Brendan's Old Boys, went from Kingsham, Kingsham Old Boys, where I lived. Uh, so we couldn't beat this local cycle, uh, Saint Brendan's Old Boys. And I said to my dad, "Can you take me to Saint Brendan's Old Boys?" And he said, "Look, okay, son, that is the other side of Bristol, you know." But I said, "Look, I've got to join them because we can't beat them." And so I joined. St. Brendan's old boys, they were uh, top of the tree, they were outstanding. They had some players in there that were at private schools, QEH, BGS, uh, Down School. And these guys I knew from playing for Bristol under eights, Bristol under tens, 11s, 12s, all the way up. And, and so I played for St. Brendan's old boys and we were all played on a Sunday. And then on a Saturday, we then there would be a Bristol schools as well, all the best players in, in, around the area for the clubs. It's called the Bristol Schools, and it's under 10s, 11s, 12s. And I ended up playing with those guys as well. So it's sort of bode well. You play the better side, you you, you get to the top. Uh, you 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 improve as a player, you've got better coaches, and you improve as a player that way as well, as a person. And that and that gave me a lot of release, actually, to get to know those sort of people in those in their sort of environment and, and learn what they're like as people. Because I was a young, aggressive man, uh, frustrated, no doubt. Couldn't hear. Uh, so... Uh, I would join these guys in there. And, and obviously rugby is a team game and there's no iron team. Uh, and they need you as much as you need them. Uh, so I learned very well that way, uh, discipline-wise. And it boded well. And you went up for this, just went up for the system. And obviously Bristol schools would play Gloucester schools. And then you get the Gloucestershire side. The Gloucestershire would play the Southwest teams. Gloucestershire would play Somerset. Then it would be Somerset and uh, Somerset, Cornwall and Devon, and that be, that would become the southwest of the junior section. Then the southwest would play the south, which is Dorset and Wilts, and then it'd be south and southwest. And then would be playing against the southeast, the Midlands and the North. To to basically um, the best players of those teams would go on and play for England schools under 16s, <clears throat> and also in under 18s as well. You just tick off your competition as you go. I had every one of those. I knew all their names. Made the effort to find out who was at so and so school, and I tick them off. Just tick them off. He's off. He's gone. He's gone. Who else have I got left to be to be the best? That's it. Now I'm sure there might be the old referee and and opposite hooker who, who disagree. But you just talked there about the discipline it gave you. Um, mm. Was it a case that the discipline you had through rugby made up for perhaps the discipline? you didn't have, you didn't acquire through school. because Absolutely. Of... Totally agree. How much, I mean, so how much did that help? It's a wonderful thing. Well, massively, it taught me, uh, taught me right from wrong. My school did, but uh, I used to get a dap or a cane if you didn't uh, behave. Uh, but rugby was a huge, huge part of my life. And, and, Obviously, it went professional. I wouldn't to know it's going to go professional, but I tell my dad, I just want to go and play rugby for England. So I just want to play rugby. He said, yeah, I'll support you all the way. And that's what you need as a kid as well. Uh, that support from your parents. And lucky enough, I did finish school eventually and went on to work for my parents. So I was in a very, very privileged position to be in, to be fair. 
And that's where I am now. I found a business. <laughs> Are you the one in charge now? Are you running the show? Well, I'm in the I'm in the top office. I am one of the directors, yeah. But I have been away for 20 years. Don't get me wrong. That's true. Is your dad still hanging around, even though he's retired still? No, he did. No, he, he did. He did pass away some time, you know, a couple of years back now, uh, in my arms, which was which was quite painful at the time. But my mother and uh, my my wife and my brothers, we all work here. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. My daughter. Yeah. What sort of? I mean, you, you just touched on it. Then, what sort of? What sort of grounding did that give you then? Having that that. Um... You know, and you've got that support back home so that when you went on, how, how huge is that in, in your success? Huge, huge. Dad used to play rugby at, uh, at St. Rodette's at his school as well, but he got he got injured and he just wanted me to go on and and uh, and and live the dream that he wanted to do. He got injured early, uh, didn't listen to his, didn't listen to the physios and doctors, just continued and took the cast off and continued playing, and playing, and playing, because he wanted to play. Saturday and Sunday, and then obviously it just ruined his body at the end of the day. And he just said, "Look, Mark, listen to everything. Listen to your body. Listen to, listen to your coaches. Listen to your teammates, and do the right thing if you want to get to the top." So that grounding, that support by your parents, because I I got the most wonderful parents, most wonderful family. Uh, you made your debut for Bristol when you were nineteen. That's quite a bit of a young pup. As a Bristol boy, um, growing up, wanting to play for your for your your hometown club. What was that feeling like for you when you made your debut? Daunting. It was, there was, back in the day, it was daunting. These are men. I'm a young man, so to speak, still in my teenage years. And these are 30 odd years of age and they've been around the block a lot longer than me. And there wasn't much protection back then, to be fair. There was, um, no TMO. No TMO. There's very, very no no cameras, and it was dog eat dog. And it is like if you want to be the best, you've got to be the best. And that was like, I better punch him a bit harder than he's gonna punch me. So that's how it came around, and you just become aggressive. And obviously, I had that, I had that physical size, and I had that discipline, and I had that aggressiveness to, to, to go to the top, and I was desperate to get to the top. Who did you have alongside you on that? Do you remember who you were playing alongside in the pack, especially? And who who were you up against yeah. as well? Right. Do you have the program knocking around? Is one of those things you got knocking around? Well, on the day? Uh, so to me, I had um, Dave Hinkins was one of them, and the other one was most really hardest bloke in, in, in Bristol would been uh, Alan Sharp, played for Scotland. Actually, <clears throat> in that case, and the sort of guys we were playing against, so the likes of um, John Oliver. Gary Pagel, not Gary Pagel, Gary Pierce, the prop, Leonard. There was uh, Teal Cop, these sort of boys, all in the front row, nasty pieces of work. Uh, and obviously against uh, Graham Dole, taught me a few lessons. Uh, got some great stories about that one. Uh, and he taught me, and also played Brian Moore. And I just wanted to be Brian Moore as a kid growing up. I had, his, I had the... I had the duvet, duvet bed set. I had the Tupperware flask with my, with my, with my, uh, with my drink inside it. Everyone else was taken to school and back with their like Batman flasks, etc. And you know, a lunchbox. And I got Brian Moore lunchbox. Me. That I didn't is all realize I there's so many available. 
Well, no, I sort of printed it on myself. It, 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 was, it wasn't being sold at shops along with the Incredible Hulk and the Batmans and the Spider-Man. It took it wrong, but I made this one up myself. Uh, and he's like, who's that? I said, well, I just want to be Brian Moore. And that's right, right back to when I was really young. And I remember just wanting to be Brian Moore and I played against him. And and I was uh, and I was so thrilled when I was about 2019 playing against him. He just come back from the British Lions tour, I think it was, and I played against him. I just wanted to be Brian Moore. Just wanted to be Brian Moore. So wanted to be Brian Moore. And, and I just remember playing against him and I went up to him after and said, Brian, I just am my hero. I just want to be just like you. What do I need to it? So what I need to improve on to be just like you. Know, stood there, looked at me and went, why don't you just F off, Mark? Told me to F off. Do you believe that? Actually, that shook my world. That's basically just crumbled. I can't let a slight bit of like weakness show in, front, in my face, can I? I was just so disappointed. So I was gutted. So went home and changed the bed, <laughs> burn it all, I suppose you could say. And then the following year, I'm playing against him. I'm a bit more physical now, a bit more... Uh, a bit more, a bit more, you know, streetwise now, bigger, faster, stronger. And I'm in the scrum and I, and he said, Oi, Regan, giving him a bit in the scrum. He goes, Oi, Regan, do you know who I am? I'm Brian Moore and got 63 caps for England. I said, I know you are, Brian, you ain't going to get 64. And he never did. And the reason why was because of your good self getting your first cap yeah. in yeah. night five. Yeah. And that's another reason why I went on. And you, no one knew in like, 95 the game was going to go professional, but it, all I want to do when I play for England is just take the country, and that's just about it. Uh, nothing to do with money, caps, etc. All the cars that actually came along and the checkbooks that came along. But I just rocked up at, at the training on a Wednesday night. I remember that. Went to the hotel, and all I want to do is get that England bag. With my name written across the top of it, with England, England staff, with the tracksuit, with the with the name in the corner, etc. That's what I want to get my hands on. But the, the manager came over and said, "Look, Mark, here's your keys. Keys to what? You got a car out in the car park. Hope you got a driving license. Well, just." And he said, "There's ten thousand pound check, and the game's just gone professional. 1995. We're about to play South Africa, uh, and this is now Wednesday evening." Believe it or not, we went up the, after that. Uh, we went up the pub with Jason Leonard and just got absolutely smashed. And that's just where it was back then, you know. Thursday morning, still, I'm still drunk on Saturday morning before the game gets South Africa against South Africa 1995 at Twickenham. The opening of like the East Stand, I think it was. The Queen was there. Unbelievable. I thought, Christ, Leonard's had me right over here. I just done me up. 20, still, still. Still very, very uh, hungover as well. If I, I tell, I'm sure if I'd have had a blood test that day, he would have said, you're right to play, Mr. Regan, but you are, I suggest you do not drive a car. I was still over the limit, I bet, from the Wednesday night. You didn't Crazy. breathe beer fumes. You didn't breathe beer fumes over the Queen, did you? No, 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 no not at all. <laughs> but no. But if, believe it or not, that day, who was the first person to play for England in a professional era? On their test debut, test, uh, test debut, yeah, but f- fully professional player. Yeah, well, just, Mike Cat already played, and he played. Yeah, uh, but was it Delalio? Delalio came off the oh, bench. Delalio was on the bench. It was me. I started. You were, you were the, you were the yeah. first one. There you go. Congratulations. First one. That is a trivial pursuit question. One for the pub quiz, definitely. Um, now, that, before... is a trivial, that is a trivial pursuit question of Jazz Dias, and I've and I've gone through the whole trivial pursuit pack. 
to find that sports question and is in it. Like, and you yeah. win a cheese. You will win a cheese if you ever play it anymore. I haven't played it. I... Anyone, if anyone ever plays it anymore, but that's a good pub quiz. That is, question. it is. I remember it. Next time I do a pub quiz, I'll make sure it gets mentioned. This is the All Is Podcast by Give a Ruck with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to World Cup winning hooker Mark Regan about being an elite player with serious deafness. Looking back over your young years, who were the guys who you who really, they like said, you talked about the discipline side, keeping on the straight and narrow with rugby. Mention your family and your father. Um, in terms of coaches, who were the ones who, looking back, you think, yeah, thank God he was around in my life. Pick me up when I was Elwin thinking. Price. El- <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Elwin Price. And uh, he was coach of Bristol under-19s, under-21s. Elwin Price, absolute legend of a man. He was an ex-footballer, to be fair, but he was just driven. And I've always, I'm always one that basically likes to be encouraged by playing against uh, in front of uh, playing against the tide. Playing rugby, I want to go out and prove people wrong. So, for instance. Uh, He'd get into me a little bit more. His man management wasn't great, uh, but he ticked all the boxes for me. He, he improved as a player just through that hunger. I keep G was the other one as well, and he was at St. Bernard's, uh, Brendan's, and he was the uh, coach there. He was, he was, he was quite amazing. Uh, and he seen talent and pushed it all the way through. And if you look at some of the players that have come through St. Brendan's College, you will see a list of. England internationals that went through right to the top. He was outstanding. Um, and, and so basically, I also, when I got selected by Jack Rao, Jack Rao used to call me Martin, call me Martin for the first two years. Martin, they call me Martin for us. Mark, he said, until you play like Mark Regan, the guy I selected, your name's still Martin. So that's just amazing. It drives me on. That's why it just drives me on in the face of all that. Uh, in the face of what's the word I'm trying to look at? In the face of adversary, adverse adversity, adversity, yeah. adversity, yeah. Adversity, yeah. To, to try and you know, play against the tide and prove people wrong. And and I remember Jack Ross sitting down on his last international, his last game at Cardiff Farns Park, 1997. He sat down, he'd been calling me Martin for two years, don't forget why. And uh, he says, uh, Sit down next to me. He says, Mark. I look right at this. I'm going, what, Mark, who? What, what? He must be talking to me. There's no other Marks there. I, I know there's a bait. I know there's a Martin. Another Martin. Another Martin. Bait. Uh, I know there's a Gus Gut. Jeremy. But there's Mark. Sit down anyway. He says, uh, Mark. You're a big cog in this wheel. You're a big name in this team. You're a big cog in this wheel. Go out and play like one. I thought, Christ. That's a big accolade, that is. And I was like, and I, what, I gone out then, like, Popeye, and I? I'd gone out, boof, boof, boof. I was like, couldn't wait to get onto the park. So I was, so I was, I was, I was made over. I'd run him over, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that debut, South Africa, 1995, something you always dreamed of, something mm. you, uh, as you say, you hung over for. The um, Playing alongside yeah. someone like Jason and Victor Bogu, Martin Johnson, Martin Bayfield, yeah. the other Martins, mm-hmm. um, Tim Rod, Ben Clark, Andy Robinson. Yeah. It's, it's mm. a formidable, formidable pack for a young guy. Were you 23 at the time? 24, 23, uh-huh. 24? 
What was it like going in there in the middle of them and 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 having to be you know play alongside them? What did that do for your well, nerves? Well, I feel I felt, just feel how I felt on the Thursday morning when I woke up. Well, when we got in Thursday morning at some time, on some god the hour, I me mean, Jason Ender and the rest of them, we went at the Roebuck on the way tonight when we met up to celebrate the games. Just went professional, and I think that's just what it did anyway. We met up on a on a Wednesday and played on a Saturday. It's like that's the way it was. But to play in that team as well, and you don't sort of respect it at the time when you're there. You know, right? Okay, you got. You look back on it with great fond memories, obviously. Uh, and one day, I will look at all my test matches I've played in and, and the cats, etc. But it, it didn't dawn on me too much at all. I just got on with it, just put that shirt on. But obviously, I was very nervous at the time, hugely nervous. Must have been. Can't remember much about it. I only just remember that drinking lots of drink and then going out and doing my very, very best. And once you get up, put that shirt on. I tell everyone when they play their first test match, it just go like a flash. You just can't think about you got to don't think about what, what it did a minute ago, or you made a mistake. Think about the next contribution you're going to make, a positive one. Yeah, and you won't hear this crowd. Never hear the crowd, unless you're at Cardiff Highlands Park. Other than that, you just blast your way through the test match, and, and it just come and go. Don't want you. You just got. To, you got to maximise opportunity when you have those chances. Uh, and if I could go back now, I'd possibly think that a little bit harder to do. Uh, looking back at the time, obviously, with with the uh, from the perspective of your deafness, if mm. you if you had mentioned it, if you had brought up the fact that you you were deaf to that group of players, what do you think would have happened? And is there a part of you that perhaps thinks maybe I should have done? No, I'm severely deaf, not profoundly deaf. My lip reader can hear. I struggle with the super uh, and being in uh, quite loud rooms to focus on someone, someone trying to say. And I may become, some people might think I'm slightly arrogant if I say, I just, I'm, I'll just get up and move away. So it's because I can't ask them the third side what they said. It's just very difficult for me to do. So would it, I wouldn't have wanted to tell them a weakness out of weakness, no. And so I didn't. And not even a single person knew. But I've told them now. They understand now, and obviously doing more podcasts like we are now, uh, it gets out there. Uh, but people, I think they do understand. It's very tough, man, very tough. So be like that. I was on the back foot. One, you can't hear what it's saying. So, and, and, and two, it's hard to communicate. Is it one? It's just one of those things that, at the, just of the time, people there would have been the lack of understanding. It was very. Of course, it was. It, I mean, professionalism just come it's in. A different it, world. It, it was a different world back then, wasn't it? It had been like go and play for the Death Society. You. All right. Thanks very much. But I have got. You no, know, I have. I have talent. But and, and and I wanted to get to the top. I had to prove people wrong. I had to prove myself that I could do it as well. And I wanted to. I couldn't hear. I let read. I can't hear those things. But if I'm, but if, but if I'm in a different room to me now, I've got my hearing aids in right now, right? And they're stuck right down in deep. When you're on loudspeaker, in my ears on my Bluetooth, so I can hear you really crystal clear, crystal clear at the moment because it's because it turned right up. But take them out, and the world changes. I put them in. I remember putting these in uh, about two years ago now. And I'm in the garden. And I, I said, "What's that noise?" 
Maria said, that's the uh, birds whistle. That's the birds singing. Really? What's that noise? That's the leaves whistling. What's that? Going back inside. What's that noise? That's the air conditioning on Mark. And that's all. That's really, then I've never experienced that before, see? So it's very tough. So after your, you know, you made your debut against South Africa and you're establishing that team, the one in 96, still out the chat, and then off to South Africa in 1997 on the Lions top. How how much of a next level was that in terms of where you've been aiming for? And again, you had only been what mid twenties at the time, twenty five. Yeah, yeah, that was pinnacle of the, anyone's career. That was outstanding, wasn't it? That uh, thoroughly enjoyed that experience. But as one of those experiences that I don't think I grasped both hands as well. I didn't realise I figured figured there it was until you finish. And the ones you do did throw away, I threw the two thousand and one away and two thousand and five away. So it was it it it. I'm just very pleased that I got into one. In the end of the day, and um, and I should have respected it a bit more. I look back now, and I and I do now. We'll see, but, but at the time you don't. You're just in that bubble, or you're in that crest of a wave, and you're just blown along, and you think nothing can harm you. You're just Superman. You just think. Um, I'll never get dropped here on the pinnacle of my career. And then you just lose a bit of fitness, you lose a bit of focus. And that's what happened with me. Of course, while you're in the, in South Africa, you played the third test, um, missed yeah. on the first two. Um, probably one of the other famous things was the uh, the fight. I don't know how much you would call it a fight. There was a, a contretemps maybe at the training ground that was picked up by the cameras with Barry Williams. That's sort oh, yeah. of trying to prove yourself at the time. Um, of course it is. That's all down to that's just down to what you care. You care for it, don't you? you know? And Barry, I look at on with Barry well now. He's one of my customers. To be fair, I look at through his cranes <laughs> uh, at, at his company, uh, and he's one of the main directors there. And we got on very, very well. I got no out, no animosity at all towards um, towards anyone like that. Uh, but I, but it was just a matter of time, and 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 that time would come when he was swallowing around uh, thinking he'd be on Barry Four Tours. I, was going to, I mean, you're not even capped by your fruit, by, by Wells yet and you're just strutting around as though you know, you've been on four or five tours for the British Lions and I wasn't having it. So, uh, well, push come to shove and a couple of little cheeky slaps happened and that was the end of the bit, really. It, it, just, it just, a lot of people made a lot, lots of things of it but at the end of the day, if if I thought someone was trying to be basically like uh, trying trying to trying to put me down, I don't think I was the sort of person I'm politically correct to come out of the conversation and say, "My honourable gentleman, uh, let me tell you that this is this part this is this part of my argument." I just chin someone. We just have it out, and that'd be done. Then it's all over. But we had a, we had a bit of a scuffle, and that was it. I mean, watching the video, I mean, watch the video and watch it back again. It, it, it was quite a tricky one to actually get in the arm swinging because you were both in the middle of the front row on scrum practice, yeah. wasn't it? You had, you, had, you had seven people, each had seven people around you. Yeah. And uh, the sort of the actual physics of it looked quite tricky. Yeah, well, Brian Moore, not Brian Moore. I mean, uh, Graham Dole taught me, how, taught me what to do with no arms and still hurt someone. So that's dead handy. You talk about not showing any weakness and it affecting your the sort of psychology of, of, of playing mm -hmm. and again, the abrasive nature. The fact that 
I mean, it was a very competitive era for for top class hookers. Brian Moore was and Graham Dorr was sort of winding down their careers with the people like Richard Cockerell, Dorian West, Phil Greening, George Shooter coming through, Keith Wood and Barry Williams, who you mentioned, were on the Lions tours with you. Phil Greening was another sort of young gun. How much did sort of those guys' um, development, appearance on the scene sort of affect affect you? And perhaps the way um, you how did they affect me? Maybe they they were able to possibly a bit better at manipulating the coaches than I could. Talk good game instead of playing well, and that's all I could really do. I get frustrated out to them to explain why the certain thing went wrong when we lost. I know that people are very good at explaining that they got things wrong or they thought they were knocked out giving me another go. And in human nature, suggests that once you do put, let yourself down, the next week, the following week, things will improve. You know it will, because it's all between years. It's the top two inches that we can all play rugby, we know that. But it's the top two inches that make the difference if you're playing outstanding well or not. We can all scrum, we can all hook, we can all tackle, we can all run with the ball. It's a mental mental attitude you need to have. And that is where you've got to be mentally strong, physically strong, technically and tactically. Look at all those right. And I find it very frustrating that, hang on, I'm doing the right things here, but I wasn't able to express my feelings as well. I didn't have vocabulary. Were there things you used to do? Um, what, I mean, what sort of things did you used to do to get yourself at that level? Um, what, did you tell yourself something, you know, psychologically, he's the guy I want to hurt? Steve Thompson, in his book, he yeah. talked about how the fact that he'd bring himself up to, to hate his opposite number. Um, what sort of things did you do? Um, what sort of things did I used to do? I was quite clever about that. I was, they all knew I was physically stronger than them. Uh, mentally as well. Uh, but I used to be quite crafty, I suppose, crafty with it as well. Any which way you lose, any which way but lose. Uh, for instance, I would tell my back row that I know Steve Thompson's coming on a, coming on the second run. He's coming on the coming up from the second rock, so it'd be a scrum or a line out. There'd be a rock, then he'd be coming around on the on the second or first rock. Tell my back row not to stay out, don't compete at that ball. And if you smash him, I'll give you £10 every time you smash him. He never played very well against me. None of them did. But I didn't play for very fat. I played for unfancied sides, really, didn't I? Yeah, as you think about it, I played, played for sorry, Bristol. Beginning of my career. Bottom of the league. Get selected for England still. Go to Bath. Okay, won the Heineken Cup. Done well there. But that soon drifted off. I started reading my press too much and got uh, distracted. As in, I look back at it now and I think it's off. I rule that decision why I've done that. When you went to Lions Tour and then I went to Bath and it just went downhill because I just ended up listening, just reading my own press all the time. And then and the game will never stop. The game moves on uh, and put a bit of weight on, fell out with Woodward because I thought I was the best player in the world. He took over. I thought I'd done really well under, under Jack Rowell, and he, then he moved on. Woodward came in, dropped me. And I was like, right, oh, that's a bit nasty. So then I had to fight my way back there. Yeah, it was it was quite tough. But got back in the end. Um, but uh, 
the game will not will, will always move on. It'll leave you behind. And I look back now, Jez, and I think, right, I understand why people now die on the way down from Mount Everest, not on the way up. Because they lose their focus on the way down. And their drive. They're on the way down. And on the way up, you're driven, you focus. And that was my Everest, yeah. Just Jim Telfer. I suppose you could say, that's your Everest. And once you get there, it's hard, you know, it's, can't stay there all night. You, you've got to come down somehow, aren't you? And I did come down, and I came down with a crash. And then that'd be a rebuild. And then I won Woodward back over, got the shirt back in 2004, believe it or not. Then he jumped ship. And then, then Andy Rowell comes, not no, Andy, Andy Robinson. Robinson, come, Robinson comes into being a good coach. Then, and I didn't like him, he didn't like me. And I then pushed on the back heap again, kicked out again. And then when Andy Robinson got, got, um, I never ever gave up. But when Andy Robinson got, the sack. Brian Asson came in and said, Mark, do you want to play rugby for England again? I said to Brian, there's a one-legged swan swimming in circles. And he said, right, I'll see you Monday. Went in about fifth choice and then I was playing, playing, I was playing in the World Cup finals again. And that was my redemption. 16 test matches in a row, I think it was then. Uh, went on, age of 37, playing for England. Uh, and then that was a fabulous part of my life, and that was my redemption. That was what I needed. That, and that did save my mental health. Because I think you can always look back with anger, but it was a next. It is my next chance, and it's this is my chance, and I was never letting it go. And that, that actually saved me a world of pain. I've jumped ahead a few topics, but um, yeah, but going, we'll stay with two thousand and seven. Like I say you were on, you uh, you you weren't on the bench for the two thousand and three final. You were the uh, in the stands watching, Dorian West got the nod as Steve Thompson's. Yeah, uh, well, Dorian West played for Leicester, didn't he? Dorian, played, Dorian West played for Leicester, so the top of the table at the time, weren't they? And England tend did to pick players at the top of the table in their teams because I think Woodward liked the the link. He, he liked the the what's the word I'm looking for? He liked the not sequences. He he liked. Dorian West throwing to the two line out Ben K and obviously Johnson. So I so I had no Bristol second rows. He liked that um that link, I suppose, that they do it week in, week out, every day. So he kept those systems together. Um I had my chance, uh came off the bench and played really well against uh, oh yeah, Georgia. Well tried done well. There were chances of following week and that's against Samoa. And we didn't go out very well against Samoa at all. We underperformed. Western Samoa, this is their this is their Everest, I suppose. This is their World Cup final. And we find ourselves behind. And obviously Woodward starts having a little bit of a starts crumbling a little bit. And then decides, right, I've got to put some players on there. We didn't, none of them, none of us played well in that game. And I needed everyone. As, with, as did uh, Julian White, as did, I think, whoever played Kieran Bracken needed, needed us all to play well. We didn't perform well as a team. We had to perform. And that was the way it goes sometimes. And that happened with me and the British Lions team as well. You know, had a chance. We underperformed as a team. The opposition side took us apart. And you get cast away because there's no second chances in World Cups. They keep, uh, they keep the same team. 
you know, there's no chance to lose, and they keep the same teams, and obviously lost out my chance then, and you know, that that was it. That 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 was my chance gone, the second time. This is the All Is podcast by Giveruck with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to World Cup winning hooker Mark Regan about being an elite player with serious deafness. 2007, then uh, you were first choice hooker. Simon Shaw, who was was third choice second row behind Ben K. Martin Johnson in 2003 was in the in the second row. Andy Gomesall was yep. third choice scrum half. Yep. Uh, yep. I think who else was was Mike Cat was the start, obviously. Um, but how much of that, you know, there were good two or three of you with a, with a point to prove almost in come 2007. Absolutely, Absolutely. and and for me, yes, it was. This, this this is by chance. I was never going to give this up. I was going to take all the boxes. I wasn't going to be the joker. I was going to be the. I was going to be the leader. I was going to be. Uh, I was just going to be, lead, a leadership. I wanted to be part of a leadership group, and, and and that's how it happened. And 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 I was not playing any messing around at games, or or training. Not even off the pitch either. Uh, I just knuckled down and said, "Look, I can't let this opportunity slip." And as in the last time, last couple of years, so you learn from your mistakes, um, and that's how it went. And that's and that's why I was so driven, and and that's why possibly why we got to a final because we weren't we were nowhere near the best team in 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 the uh, in the competition. We were underprepared. We didn't have the best players, uh, but we had heart. Had commitment, had drive, and we didn't want to be known as the worst defending champions ever. Be knocked out in the four stages. First defending champion, be knocked out in the four stages. So, um, a lot, a lot was riding on it. And so, obviously, we come and play against Australia, and, and they were undercooked. We we were about hardened. We played South Africa thirty six nil, and then we played Tonga and Samoa. You know, you're going to be proper about hardened by then, and. Australia didn't have a didn't have an answer to the physicality of the game. That quarterfinal down in Marseille, anyone who was there on an English side anyway will certainly remember it. Um, you, Andy Sheridan, and, and Phil Vickery getting stuck into the Australian uh, front row. We met, we've, we've touched on it throughout this chat. Your bubbly nature, your sort of abrasive nature, came to the fore in that one. Sort of how important was it in that match? Uh, and and then later on the semi final, the Stade de France against France, the host nation. Um, how important was it just for those two matches in particular to uh, to get the through the knockout stages? Well, look, we found ourselves in the quarter final, and we were playing South Africa, Australia, and and we knew that they, like I said, they undercooked. We were, I'd only shared in this absolute beast next to me, and Vickery. As well, Shawsy and Ben K. We had a good side, good side. We had a gritty side. Um, but during that match, I just needed Andy Sheridan to be an absolute beast. And I mean a beast. Nasty. Because off the pitch, he is like he's like a little small teddy bear, to be fair. He's nice to everyone. And I'm looking, I don't want this nice bit. So we're on a pitch and and first the, the kickoff goes and I just remember looking around and Shawsy catching the ball and who ran into the first rock because he's really fit. That is Andy Shadow, who ran into, into the same rock last because he's unfit. It's Mark Regan. So I punched, I ran in and punched Sheridan right in the face. Yeah. 
obviously it seemed it was me, but he assumed it was me. But they would claim it as me. He jumped up to the floor, foaming at my looking around, going, What are you gonna have? A, uh, looking at me, I said, I seen it, I seen it, it was him. The opposition front row, Matt Dunning, and then obviously we went to tail the whole whole game, and he was right up for it. And we just smashed him up at the end of the day, and that was the way it went. And we were we deserved that game in the end, and we we're just driven. We weren't as skillful a side as Australia, clearly not. But we had heart and we had drive. And we had Andy Sheridan who got punched in the face. Those sort of um those matches, do you almost prefer those matches when you're up against it? You've yeah. talked about how your whole career yeah. you were fighting. Yeah, fighting against it, up against the uh what's the word you said? Uh, adversity. There we go. Adversity. Word of the day. You said it yourself. That's it. <laughs> You need to toilet paper. Adversity. I will basically put that down. There you go. Well, don't ask me to spell it, mate. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I got it. I went like A D V E R S I T Y. Adversity. What's on? When you look back on your career, I mean, it's been it's been a, a very very successful World Cup winner, another World Cup final, Lion Series winner, Heineken Cup winner, um, and even your little jaunt north to Leeds, you won the Power Gen Cup, um. And what do you put that down yeah. to, and and your sort of your mental approach from a sort of mental approach to the game? Never lose attitude. Go down fighting. Yeah, you're going to need a bigger boat to take me down. <laughs> Get that reek. I've had so many people right told me in the past they spend an hour, they spend half an hour in a team meeting playing against me, and they go right, we should spend ten minutes or half hour. Saying right, let's get get what you get Regan off the park, the opposition hooker, and you'll win and you'll win. He's a catalyst, he is a he's a nuclei, yeah. So he is the main man. Get rid of him and then lose heart and then and, and, and so they used to spend like Grucock spend all his time trying to beat me up. And I go, Well, man, I'm just a scuffling around with you because you're their best player. I'm not my best player. We're not I'm not our best player, I'm just the most aggressive and most he gets in everyone's face. But you're wasting your time. And then I'd get you, then, then, then you, then I'd obviously get retaliation first. And uh, and you'd end up getting caught punching me back by the referee. You'd be you then get sent off, not me. So that's why I, I love that sort of thing. We spent, they'd spend, like, for instance, I'd come out to one, one match and the coach would say, if we had another, if we had another 14 Mark Regas playing today, we won that game. And I'm like, yeah. Because I've been thinking about that since it's bloody Tuesday. This game, you know, that's and so that's driven. Just yeah, yeah. And, and how much? How much of that goes back to your childhood when you were at school? Oh, it when it was, of course, of course. That's it. You you you're always in front of adversity, aren't you? At school, prove people wrong. Exactly what I wanted to do. That's all I had. That's all I had really. As well as a great, obviously, understanding family, as I and as I have now. Uh, and is there part of you that looks back that that kind of not so much regrets, but a little bit sad yeah. that you, you had to have that attitude. You you didn't have someone you could you could chat to about things a little bit more. You were always always kind of the angry man um, yeah. fighting being, against yeah. the Joker fighting against the tide. Yeah, how many times? Right, look back. How many times, Jess? And you look back now and go, right, how many coaches have moaned about me? Have I ever been sent off? I've always seen myself as a Gary Lineker rugby. I've never been sent off. It's a couple of yellows, but 
I've been called a grotesque clown by the French coach during one match. But I think, did we win? Yeah, we did win. It's done my job. What's that, Regan? Regan's only playing a statement of intent. That is by England against Australia. Referee, please watch him. Great. It's just fueling my fire. You know what that's doing for me? To a person, whenever I went to play at uh, Leicester or Gloucester in front of the shed, I'd go over and train and warm up in front of the shed to get grief. My other teammates are down under the post warming up. Got a nice part of Gloucester shed. Yeah. And there's E or E or they're E or they try and tear you apart. Tear you apart. And then after the match, I got to him and just clapped to him and said, thanks for that. I needed it. Just walk up. You give me no shit and I'll prove you wrong. Go on. Just to add to my fuel. Add the fuel, put fuel on the fire. And then they, they'd be the best of people as well. They come up to me and say, Mark, you are you are a nightmare. And if we had you, you'd be the first on our team list. You are a distinct, you're, you're, you're becoming uh, extinct. You're an extinct animal. You're an extinct dinosaur. You know, you're running on, but no one, no, you know, they don't do about you anymore. But you'll be the first in our team. There is a sort of adulation that, that you know, you get as players in Christ, you're such a nightmare. You're a pantomime villain, booing, you know, people booing in the crowd for me. I'm great, just keep great. Regan, we, well, as you can imagine, Blah, 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 hate you. You, ah, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. I love it. I'm like, Christ, that's great. That's great. Excellent. Continue. Fuel for the fire, really. Absolutely. Exactly. Thanks for... Uh, fighting. There's only one way out. That's flat out. Uh, sort of after, after, after retiring, how long, Silver, did it, did you, it take um, for you to come to terms with the deafness? And, and when did you make the, the decision to have your, your hearing aids put in? Ten years after. Okay, sorry, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, twenty nineteen. Okay, about that. No, I wouldn't. I would say it's after. I'd say twenty twenty, maybe. Okay, another three years, two years. So, what 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 held you back? What held you back from getting them? Was it a case of I've I've survived this long without it? I can carry on. No, I don't. Yeah, I suppose it wasn't until my wife just got completely cheesed off, uh, and with the TV being on that. Uh, Hundred percent all the time. So uh, I don't know. I don't know why it took so long. Just when I just when I checked out, maybe maybe two thousand nineteen. Yeah, say okay. that. And what I mean, what was it like when you first had them in that? You you talked talked about in the garden, and in the house. I mean, what can you describe to us what it was like? Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, the the birds singing. Uh, I can hear my wife in the other room now. I can hear conversations I never heard before. Some of them I don't want to hear when I'm in when I'm in, when I'm in a room, yeah. Because I because these are so special. I can tune in all over the place. Uh, but it makes it so much more clearer. But I don't wear them all the time. I should do. Uh, this is better for me. Uh, but I don't. I don't know why. Just still feel still feel embarrassed to wear them. So Very embarrassed. Of course, of course. Uh, what sort of stuff have you done with 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 deaf charities? Has there have, have people come to you to talk about them? Helped out others in a similar position? Just before it went into COVID, I know the first. I know the England. 
Beth Society contacted me, but nothing has set in stone, and that's how it stayed. So nothing really. Uh, I was talking to might be their the IT guy. Or if he was IT guy on Saturday before when I, as I was going up on the train, and he's very interested. He didn't know. No one knew, really. Only the players. No one of the current batch. No one, I think, at all. But of course, it was the article your daughter wrote in the yeah the rugby paper. What sort of response did that um, that bring bring about? That did bring a good response. Yeah, it's it's a great world written by my daughter. Um, and it did. It, I then went on a couple of podcasts. Lewis Moody was one of them, uh, and that's it. Nothing was made. Nothing was made really in in on the headlines. No, nothing. I didn't think it needed to be. Uh, it was just like now I've done my bit. I said, look, this is this is why it was like this. Uh, you understand now, and it was hard. And in the face of adversity, it, it was very tough, but capable and. Don't get me wrong, if you've got a slight disability, nothing's stopping you if you've driven hard enough to get to the top. So if there was uh, someone in a similar position, a 13, 14-year-old Mark Regan, um, this day and age, who's shown, you know, shown potential either at, be at rugby or any other sport and, and had a similar dilemma as you did at, at that age, what would you tell them? Never give up. Don't. In, in terms to of parents, listen to your parents and, and never give up. And, and there's uh, the driving attitude that I shown as well. Um, and you can get to top that you break this barriers down. How? What sort of? How would you persuade them in terms of um, sort of making it known that they had they had they would if they were deaf like you were at the time? Would you would you encourage them to? to let people know about it, their coaches, to have that understanding in a way that perhaps you weren't able to? I think I think people nowadays are a lot more open, aren't they, with, the, with their mental health and mental chat, etc. a lot more open uh, and discuss things and talk things, don't they? Uh, I was never in that position when I was a kid. Uh, would I advise them to? What's the answer you're likely to get to that is go and play for Death Society. In this world, you will. They might say, no, if, you, if you're deaf and you're good enough, you'll play. But just put your just put yourself in, say, a coach's shoes. 100,000 people, difference between winning and losing. Is this line out? Line out call got to go right. I understand line out call got to know where it's going. Uh, and we miss it. And we lose the World Cup. Do you really think that uh, a coach will take that risk? No. I don't. They just it, they say, look, great, great for coming out. It's fantastic. And we support you all the way, but you're just not good enough. But you are good enough. You know you're good enough. So why would you bother selling anything? Now, I could hear, don't get me wrong, I'm not profoundly deaf, just seriously deaf. I miss things. I don't hear things correctly. I get the words wrong. I might think someone's trying to say a different word because I don't hear the stuff. Fuck up, what? Um, and I get things wrong and then... I misinterpretate things, and that gets you frustrated. Well, that I wasn't profoundly deaf, so I was close to being obviously huge deaf because I had measles as a kid when I was two. I wouldn't know what I'd like before. Uh, my brother Adam as well, but he's not as bad as me. Uh, 
Would I would, would I suggest coming out? No. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. Looking back, because of those reasons, Jess? Yeah. Because I can still slightly hear. Yeah, no, it's interesting to know that, yeah, it'd be, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? You sort of you never know how coaches are going to react is the... I'll give you, an, I'll give you an example there. A yeah. falls head coach, and I'm in a World Cup final, and there's 100,000 people in the crowd, and I've got to put my faith and trust in this bloke now. It's like it's like asking Johnny Wilkinson to kick a cold blind. When you look back at your career, uh, considering mm-hmm. everything you achieved, as you say, as a seriously deaf athlete, could have um, been more. I do look back and regret uh, it could have been more. As I said, I missed out on Lions Tour 2001. I opened my mouth a few times, upset upset coaches. Coaches want sponges, no, they don't want rocks. And I was always a bit of a rock because I was that sort of person, I suppose. Through my deafness as well, people want sponges. You want a sponge. People want people, employees that sound there, listen, and they engage, they engage and they can, can contribute. They listen, a sponge. They don't want rocks because I was described as a bit of a rock and I made those mistakes. Uh, one I just couldn't hear and I'd just become the joker and have a laugh instead of that, yeah, I'd say would would that training session was a bit like double maths couldn't wait for the bell to go, you know, those sort of things and it just, it wasn't me that got the letter the following week to come to England training you know, just wanted sponges, he wanted sponges, he's a new coach isn't he, and Rob's a new coach pushed out, I look back now and think soft. well just shut your mouth because I basically said things that everyone else is thinking load the gun I'll shoot it because I find it funny. So I've got, to have, I've got to contribute somehow. Yeah. But then I look back now and think that I wish I was more politically correct, a lot more. Just shut your mouth. But if you if you had been like that, do you think you'd have hit the heights? You did help. Yeah, because you can be a good rugby and intelligent. <laughs> yeah, you're not done. You're not done too badly. I think you you can look back with some. You definitely look back oh, on your career. I do look back, but I but I do look back and think to myself, well, I just think you could have just just brought it down a level or two, you know. Instead of being a joker of the pack and having a laugh and too much of a, a bit more of a sponge, but I must admit no chance that the third time I had my third chance, uh, like I said, I won that jersey back two thousand and four, Woodward left and then Robinson said I'm not playing. Uh, and, I, and I was the best player in England at the time then, just played Thompson on the Friday and he watched me do that. He said, no, we're playing Steve Thompson this weekend. They're getting fit and play safe after the following weekend. I said, what do you mean get fit? Can't do that. He watched me play against him on Saturday. He went, no. And by the way, not even on the bench. And I just went, right, that's it then, Robbo. That way. Get me next plane back to Leeds. Get me next plane back to Leeds. I don't want to work under you. Then, then, um, was it, uh, Woodward brings me up. Wood, no, Woodward brings me up okay. there. As I, as I got off the plane in 2004, I put Leeds and he says, Mark, you know, you know I'm going to be coaching now at the Lions Tour. I'm going to find it hard to select you. Not playing Sasha Rugby. I said, mate, you've got a selector you want to select. You just you just let me on merit, etc. And then anyway, he rang me a couple of months later and said, no, I don't think I'd take you on this tour because Andy Robinson's force coach. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I was done more, wasn't I? And then as soon as Andy Robinson was sacked, I was straight back in the team. ASAP, bang. Yeah. Now, this is the way things go sometimes, that's it, Jess. Yeah. That's the problem I look back at, yeah. yeah. But I do, do, don't look back in anger too much because I had that chance in 97 to to uh, reinvent myself. 
Yeah. And you ended on a high, I think is yes. a fair way to say. Exactly. Exactly. So these days, what make what makes you happy these days? Um, I speak on a circuit. I host events. Uh, I was rugby speaker of the year, 19, 2019. That made me rugby speaker of the year 2020 as well, because they didn't have it the following year. Oh, so I was the, back to I back. Was Paul, yeah, I was the Paul Laurie, wasn't I? Of the, of, of, of the golf and open, mate, to be fair. They didn't have one the following year, see, because they couldn't because of COVID. So it's cool. So uh, I was training something that way. So I do that. And then I do three days a week at my family business, which is Apart from that, I enjoy life. Uh, yeah. How do you sort of look back? You know, sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously, I would be fair to say it's been a positive on your mental yeah. health. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, obviously, it's been an absolute huge positive on mental health. Rugby teaches any sport, teaches you. Discipline, lessons, camaraderie, friendships, friendships you will always have for the rest of your life. And I don't have to bring up someone a yearly to say, How are you, etc., which you should really, uh, as players, but we just see each other at numerous events and it's just a, it's just a wink of the eye and nod. And that's the respect you just need to give at the end of the day. Um, that is fantastic. I do actually, I, I owe a lot to the game of rugby, but I've actually given it a lot too. You know, my health, I suppose, as well. My arthritis, got arthritis, got arthritis in the knee. That's a new knee replacement comes as well. So you've got to expect to take those knocks and bangs along the way. That was the All Ears podcast with me, Jeremy Inson. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe and follow us on all the usual social media channels. See you next time.